Oh, man. We're going to have some fighting today. We can all relate to that in our relationships, and not just in marriage, but just in general. Because there are many of you, you're fixers. You like fixing things. And when something is not right, you want to fix it right away. Some of you, you're just the kind of people you just need to talk. You need to talk things out. Some of you are talkers. Some of you are not listeners. And then you get married. You put a talker with a non-listener, it's, it's a cause for attacks in relationship. And that's what we want to talk about today. And it's not just about marriage. It's about every relationship that you and I will ever come across because we have relationships in our family, we have relationships with people at our workplace, we have friendships in that kind of relationship. So there's, there's many different kinds of relationships, but all of them come under attack. And what do we do when relationships are under attack? So you can take out your bulletin as we continue in this series, New Life by Design, because God is going to show us some things that we can do in what we call this thing, relationships. You know, having the motivation to improve our relationships does not happen as a result of us feeling our way there. It's a result of doing what needs to be done to make things work out right. Our feelings show up thereafter and they follow after that. And when our relationships are under attack, we don't want to wait for our feelings to tell us what to do. We already know what to do. We shouldn't let our feelings direct us. It should be what we know what needs to be done so that we can have a healthy relationship and then the blessings that come with it. And some of us have this gap called the inspiration gap in our lives where we think, well, I have to feel my way there. But for many things, we, we're just not going to have the feeling to do something. I just don't feel like doing something. When it comes to relationships, very rarely will we have the feeling to ask for forgiveness. Very rarely will we have the feeling to say, I was wrong. Very rarely will we have the feeling of saying, well, I'm going to build this relationship back. Very rarely do we have the feeling, but we know what to do. We know what needs to be done, and we know we should get these relationships better, especially in a marriage or if you're going to get married, that you got to work on how to keep the relationship tight. Because if not, and it comes under attack, it'll be just as simple as that where the relationship goes bad. We will always get attacked in our relationships. When we were growing up, we had this beehive in the back of our house. Now, you put children or kids, you know, about 10 years old around the beehive, you're going to mess with the beehive. Well, we did. And because we did that, the bees were all swarming and one chased me. Now I'm running into the house, screaming and yelling at this bee that's chasing me. My sister didn't know what was happening. We lived in Waminalo. It's a, kind of a, a good place to live and where action happens. So she was thinking someone was doing something to me. And I said, no, there's a bee chasing me. Ran into my room, but before I closed the door, it stung me. And so my sister's panicking. What is happening? I said, well, a bee was attacking me. She's like, oh my goodness, it was just a bee. I'm like, yeah, but it stung me. And it did. And good thing I'm not allergic to bees. And I was fine. We also lived by a, a place where dogs lived. And have, have you ever gotten attacked by dogs? Now, I'm not trying to bring up your traumatic, you know, incident. But I got attacked by these two dogs once. And while I'm running, these dogs come out to attack me. And I didn't know that they were coming because I had my headphones on. But I heard their collar, you know, the, the tag. And so I turned, and here comes these two dogs. 
And first instinct is you just jump into protection mode. So I'm, I'm like trying to swat them. And, and here comes the owner. I was ready to do some kicks. And I, but I don't know about the owner. Like if I kick his dog, you know, kick my dog because he's kind of a big guy. So I was just trying to, you know, get the dogs off of me. I'm like, oh, I got to wash up now. He, <laughs> he said, I'm so sorry that my dogs attacked you. They normally don't do that. I'm thinking, what, this is the first time? Because that doesn't look like they don't normally do this. They look like professional dog attackers. Took his dogs and, and, and put them away. And, and that was done. We had this camp in the back of our house, this uh, tree house that we used to stay in. But because it was nighttime, this one time that we wanted to camp overnight, we got attacked by mosquitoes. And nothing worse than when there's a mosquito attacking you and you're trying to sleep or you're trying to talk story with one another and here you have all these mosquitoes attacking you. So what we decided to do was stay under our blanket. And so everyone had their own blanket, me and my cousins, and we just are under our own blanket so that we wouldn't get attacked by mosquitoes. And we thought it was the coolest thing because you can hear them, but they can't bite you. But you're dying of sweat because it's so hot. And you're wanting to talk with one another, but you can't because you're being attacked by these mosquitoes. And I thought, that's kind of like how it is when it's a relational attack. That after a while, you start putting yourself in seclusion so that you're protected. But then it's so uncomfortable because you can't really live your life. You can't be the person that you want to be because maybe this person is going to say negative things about you or start pointing faults about you. So you, you can't be who you are around certain people. Because the relationship will go bad or they're not going to like you or whatever the case may be. Our relationships will always come under attack and we'll have those situations. I remember when we were growing up, we had a house on the other side of the street where they would fight all the time. And because we're, you know, we're just little kids, we're like 10 years old, 11 years old. So, you know, we would watch this and, you know, and you may be like this back then. We would turn off all the lights. And then we would just watch. And we would just watch them go back and forth. And they would be fighting back and forth, yelling at each other. And then we would, the police would come because I guess someone would call the police. And then when the police came, the police is trying to, you know, make the situation better. And the wife would be yelling, yeah, you better do this, you better do that. Next time, you know, they're not going to be so nice to you. And they're going back and forth, back and forth. And then the police officer starts to arrest one of them. And in this case, it was the husband. But then the wife turned on the police officer. Don't you touch my husband. You better leave him alone. You're hurting him. And I'm thinking, what happened? I mean, weren't you, uh, weren't you, weren't you the one attacking him? What, what happened? And I found this to be true. In every relationship, that when it's under attack, and in this case, it wasn't that she wanted her husband to be arrested. She wanted him to change. That's what takes place in every single relationship that comes under attack. We just want the other person to change. We don't want nothing bad to happen to them. We just want them to change. And it's true in every relationship, in our families, between father and son, mother and son, or, or mother and daughter, and, and parent and child. You want them to change. They want you to change. In the workplace, you want your coworkers to change. They want you to change. You want your boss to change. Your boss wants you to change. 
In our state, we want the government to change. The government wants the people to change. Everyone wants somebody else to change except themselves. Which is pretty interesting because that's the person we have control over the most. We get attacked every single day. We get attacked by problems. We get attacked by emails and phone calls and text messages. We get attacked by our finances, our bills, or something broken in the home. But what's worse is when a relationship is broken and comes under attack. Now, if you're reading with us through the Bible, we call it doing our devotions. We devote a certain time to read the Bible that we're reading in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, it's all about relationships. It's about this new relationship with this person that came and said he was the son of God, this person named Jesus Christ. Remember, before that, all they had was God, the true God, and the laws of God. So now Jesus comes because he says, look, you're, you have this thing called sin. And you're not able to have this relationship with the almighty God because there's a brokenness in you. It's called sin. So Jesus came to this earth, died for our sins, rose from the grave, ascended to God, gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could be empowered to live the life he designed for us. And when you have this thing called sin inside we can't do anything about it. We don't have enough power to destroy sin. But that's what Christ did on the cross. And now he says the power lives in you to live the life I have promised for you. In the book of Acts, if you do have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 15. And I'll read from verse 36. If, not, if you don't have your Bible, it's okay. I'll read it to us. But in Acts chapter, 16, uh, chapter 15... In verse 36, it says, Then after some days, this is after Jesus went to the cross and, and died and was resurrected. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul, being an apostle of one who was changed because of Christ, is now overseeing churches that they're building and wanting to check on people. But he had his partner with him in ministry called Barnabas. And now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, who they called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches so we find that even in this case even between two christians there was dispute and their relationship was broken but it wasn't the kind of broken relationship that says well enough with you i'm not gonna have to uh, anything to do with you they just had a disagreement because even when you disagree as christians the common ground should be christ that's the common ground if you're, because we, we understand that that happens in churches, that happens between family members, and you have Christ in you. If Christ dwells in you, and the Bible says if he dwells in you, Christ doesn't fight against Christ. So the common thread through every relationship that believes in Jesus Christ or a person that believes in Jesus Christ should be Christ. It shouldn't be about what the person did or what they said. It should be Jesus Christ because every person can improve when relationships are under attack. We're going to learn some key principles out of God's word. And here's the first thing to learn is to build bridges, not walls. 
When you build bridges, it's, a, it's so much different than building walls. And even when you do build walls, because we all have them and we all build them, you can still build bridges. In, when they would build castles, they would have reasons why they would build it in a certain way. And because of the enemies, they would have to build these fortified walls and make sure that no one can come through. But they would have this area called the keep. And the keep would be a place where, uh, the, the keep would be a place where they could see over the curtain walls so that they could see the enemies. And they would see the, the enemies in what they called the killing fields. If you look at any castle that was built for defense, they would have a huge open field around them so that they can see the enemy come in. And then they would place their archers in these gaps so that they could shoot their arrows down at them. And then when they did, the enemies couldn't come in. But they built these walls so thick that even a battering ram would not be able to penetrate. They also had these areas right above the doorway. And it's a weird name, but they were called murdering holes. That they would have holes under here. So that when people would try to come into the front gate, they would drop stuff on them. Either, you know, uh, boiling pitch or tar, and that's how they would take care of the enemy on the last defense if they got through the killing fields. So that's, what the that's how they built the castle. And it was structured that way to keep the enemies out. But it also was structured this way to keep everyone inside safe. Now, the great thing about this is that it had its good, you know, uh, combat and good warfare kind of protection but every castle although fortified would always have a bridge and they would make sure they would have these bridges so that they could get in and that they could get out but they had these bridges they had to have these bridges so that they could go in and they could come out but they were well protected at the same time we all build walls we've built walls since we were little kids when there's distrust or someone has broken their trust or unfaithfulness occurred or maybe even in your relationship maybe you were betrayed or someone was unfaithful maybe someone stole from you and there is a, a distrust now there's walls that go up and we all have them but when you go from a relationship to another relationship especially if you have walls that new person that's in your relationship, whether friend, coworker, uh, or even, even a family member, or if you're dating, or you're going to get married, if you still have these walls, it's going to be very difficult to keep those relationships tight, especially for anyone to get close to you. Because then if you have all these walls and no bridges, then you become a surface kind of person where you just let everybody on surface and you keep them in the killing field. That's what you do. You just, you stay in your keep and you keep yourself secure, but you leave everybody in the killing field. In other words, you don't want anyone to get close to you because if they do, you're going to get hurt. And so you keep your walls up and everyone is at a distance. But God is saying, but when you do that, sometimes you don't even let me in. And God wants to have that relationship. He's saying, don't, don't build bridges, uh, don't build walls, build bridges. That's what God did. He built a bridge to us. In this new life that God has designed for us, we now live different. We don't live like how we used to. That's why this marriage conference I so love because it's going to help us to build bridges in our marriages. 
If you're deciding to get married or you're dating, or even if you've been married, this marriage conference is a must. It'll only help to build more bridges and then at the same time, give us enough tools to stay married. It's, it's gonna be a powerful time. So you can sign up outside. It's gonna be a great investment. See, when you're, when you're attacked in a relationship, don't, don't build walls. And in this new life that God has given, when relationships are attacked or when your relationship is attacked, build the bridges. Build the bridge that's necessary. Some might go bad, but you keep that open door. Some friendships will go bad, and if you disagree and you can say, you know, I, I disagree and I don't think we see eye to eye anymore, but my door is always open for our relationship. That is a great thing to have. And if the other person says, well, I don't want to have an open door, I don't want, then that's fine. But as far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all people. You can't change people. You can only do your part, and when your part is done, that's, that's really all you can do. Don't stress out and fret and, and become disappointed because a relationship went bad and you tried your very best. We got to remember, they have their walls too, just like how you and I have ours. There's a, a game we used to play called Red Rover. Remember, you'd, you'd hold hands. This is, a, this is a, the easiest, most cheapest, most deadliest game it's basically you run at each other and clothesline one another. I mean, how safe is that? So you say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send someone right over. If you break through, then that, you get to take a hostage from that team and go to your team. If you didn't break through, you become their hostage. And then it was like, you know, if someone liked you and you liked them, it'd be, Red Rover, Red Rover, said, shout it right over. And then you would go over, and if you liked that person, you, would, you wouldn't break through. You'd kind of run soft like, oh. Oh, I never break through. Oh, I guess I got to hold your hand. And then you guys would hold hands and be like, hey, look at them, look at them. And then you'd hold hands. The whole point to that game, though, was to take a hostage. That was the whole point. I know, we were like eight years old holding hands and all giddy. But that's the whole point to the game. It was, it was to take a hostage. And no matter what took place during the game, whoever had the most hostages won. That's who won. And I thought, that's, that's what we're dealing with in our world, with, between God and Satan. That's what it comes down to. That's, that's the basic principle of what we deal with in life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But the devil doesn't want that. He wants as much people as possible to be with him for eternity, not with God because he cannot overtake God. So the way he gets back at God is not to God because he has no power with God. So he goes after what God loves the most, and that is you and I. We, we, have, we have to build bridges because there's an enemy there that's trying to take us away. In your marriage, build bridges. With people, build bridges. With God, build bridges. Because for many of us, we didn't even know this, but sometimes the, the wall we build is between us and God. And we think it's with people. 
but we didn't even know we we're building this wall with God. I love what Jesus came to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside his flesh, the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. What the Bible is saying is that you had the, you had the Jews and then you had the Gentiles, those that were God's chosen people, and then everyone else, those two groups, and God has brought those two groups together. And just as he did with us as sinners and himself, he does that with everybody else too. And he can do that because it's his spirit that bridges us together, not ours. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that our relationships can stay solid and not broken. He never bailed on us. Jesus lived a life on this earth, went to the cross, and died a shameful death so that we could connect with one another better. Not just with one another, but with him. He never bailed. You know what Jesus did? He broke through. He broke the, the, the sting of sin and death so that we could have everlasting life with him. That's the second thing that we can learn, and you can write that in. Don't bail, break through. It's easy to bail. Many of us, we know the concept of bailing. It's like, that's our way out. If it doesn't work out, I'll just bail. If that friend, you know, treats me wrong, I'll just bail. If they treat me bad, I'll just bail. If this boss doesn't treat me right, I'll just quit. We have that quitting mentality. But God says, what would happen if you broke through? What would take place if you actually broke through? Because there are some things that we probably are not learning because we've been bailing rather than breaking through. Because we go through these phases. We go through that, that beginning stage when everything is rosy. You know, when you've, you're first dating, everything is just perfect. And we put on these rosy glasses that everything is, is rosy. Oh, everything is beautiful. And we keep those glasses on for a while, but then it becomes dirty and then we don't see as clear as we used to. We're not as forgivable in the relationship. We're not as happy and joyful as in the beginning. When we first got hired, it was, oh, I'm going to do my very best. I'm making money now. I can, I can pay my bills. I can, I can dream again. And, but then something happens at the workplace, and, and now you're, you're no longer the same. You're different than what you were before. You've lost that love, that joy, that passion and that can happen in relationships. That in the beginning, you had the passion. It, everything was so good. But then as time went on, something happened, and now the passion is gone. The love is no longer there. And now we don't see with rosy glasses. We see with mistake glasses. That whenever there's a mistake, we point it out. Whenever there's a fault, we magnify it. And then we pick on each other. We point fault rather than breaking through. Then we go to that disillusionment stage where it's just, there's just disillusionment where what once was is no longer there. And so now we question ourselves, was this the right place? Was this the right time? Was that the right person? Did I marry the right person? Because some of us will ask that. Just because you got into a fight, we ask that. Well, maybe we weren't supposed to get married. Like you went from fighting over toilet paper going over or under to we shouldn't have even gotten married 
How far of an extreme is that? Rather than breaking through the disillusionment of the why behind it and saying, well, maybe, maybe you're the wrong person. Could I suggest this? In any relationship, at any job, in any family situation when a relationship is under attack, maybe it's not the wrong person or the wrong situation or the wrong job. Maybe you became the wrong person. Maybe you became the person you didn't want to be. Maybe we never thought about that. Maybe we got to start thinking of, wait, maybe there's something that I could do differently. Maybe I can change this situation by changing me. Maybe God wants to do something in me. Because when you move from that stage, then you go to this place called change. That now you're, 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 you're at a different level of growth in your life. Now you're saying, I understand commitment better because I didn't bail. I broke through. I understand communication better. I understand how to conflict resolve or have conflict resolution. I know how to resolve things better. We know how to do things better in our marriage, in our work environment, because we broke through rather than bailing. Because if we continue to bail, we solve nothing. We learn nothing. We miss out on all the opportunities we would have had. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 16, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. One disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Now, don't raise your hands, but just think in your mind, am I a wicked person? Just think, am I a wicked person? I hope none of us are saying, Yes, I am. And smiling about it. Now, some of you might be smiling and saying, no, I'm not. But the kind is, is right next to me is a wicked person. But the Bible is saying, if you're a wicked person, one thing trips you up. It's just that simple. You get tripped over the easiest things. Like one small little thing trips you up. Your anger comes out so fast with one small thing. Who wouldn't spill milk? What milk? Going small drop of milk. Right? Oh, sorry, that was me. It's, it's like a trigger happens from the smallest things, little things. And it could be because you're already irritated because nobody listens. On the other hand, you may think that, well, I, I, I don't want to fail because I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be a godly person. No, the Bible says that you will trip. You will. The difference between the godly and the wicked is the godly rise back up again. The Bible even says you're going to fall seven times. It even gives you some uh, kind of like a quantitative number that you're going to fail over and over again. You're going to make mistakes over and over. But you get back up. You get back up because you're going to learn something. You learn nothing by staying down. But you get back up and you think back, okay, how can I change? How can I be different? You break through. You don't bail out. You don't bail out on God. He gave us this life. He designed your life. So instead of bailing out, break through because there's something that God is doing. But here's the reality. Some of us need a breakdown before a breakthrough. Now that's a scary thing to think about because some of us, the only way we learn is when we're rock bottom. But God is saying, I, I don't want you to hit rock bottom. I want you to break through. And God can give us that wisdom. He can help us to break through. 
And you might be thinking, but our relationship is broken now. And we try our very best. We fight every day, but we try our very best to make it work out. It's broken. I don't know if it's going to work out. My relationship's at work. It's broken because nothing's working out. So we just come, we do work, and we go home. The business doesn't advance because there's broken relationship. The family doesn't advance because there's broken relationship. I want to tell you this. It's not the relationship that is broken. People are. It's broken people who come into a relationship. But the only thing that fixes broken people is God. That's why he died on the cross. He came to fix broken people, therefore mending relationships automatically. It's not the situation that broke the relationship. It's people. We're already coming into the relationship broken. That's why God sent his son. We have unexpected differences. When you get married, you learn those unexpected differences. When you work with someone, you learn the unexpected differences. We all grew up different. We all have different perspectives. And then we come together and try to make the relationship work by being broken. It won't be too long if we don't have Christ mending our brokenness that our relationships will be broken. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, we really don't break through the way the world does. We break through by taking our thoughts captives to obey Christ. Not the way we used to. Because it's not really us that is doing the breakthrough. It's not our power. It's his power. And if you are ever going to draw a line in a relationship, you better make sure that you are both on the same side as God. Because sometimes we'll even use the Bible against one another. Well, the Bible says this. You should submit. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to love me. Well, the Bible says this. And so you're battling against each other, and then you split, and you put God in the middle. Rather than saying, you know what, let's both be on God's side. Now, you come on my side, I go, I go on yours. We both got to go on God's side. Because we're always trying to compete. We're always trying to choose sides. If you're ever going to choose a side, choose the side of Christ. He's the mediator. We, we, all, want, we all want to be favored in fact, my, my eldest son would ask Heidi once in a while, hey, so I'm your favorite, right? And Heidi would say, no. Well, I got to be your favorite. What, is Jordan your favorite? She goes, no. He goes, well, I should be your favorite. She goes, no, you're my favorite oldest son. And Jordan is my favorite youngest son. And I thought, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it goes. And yes, some of you might have favorites, and although you might show that, it comes into play when we think like that with God. We sometimes think, oh, God is more favored upon this person because they're this part of life, or this, this way in life, or because they're a good person, or because they're involved in church, or because they go to church, that God favors them more. No, God has no favorites. Therefore, if we go on his side, and he's the one that's helping us in our relationships, 
then he's not going to say, Heidi, you're better than Sheldon. Sheldon, you're worse than Heidi. So Heidi, you're right. Sheldon, you're wrong. Or vice versa. He's going to say, look, you're both broken, but I can help you heal. I can help you heal. Yeah, but how come her? How come me? No, I have no favorites. I love you both the same. I may not do things equal in your life as far as whatever needs to be done because maybe Sheldon needs more healing than Heidi does. So this is what needs to be done in his life, but this is what needs to be done in your life. So instead of playing against each other, what God does, instead of competing with one another, God says, I complete. And now you you don't compete against one another. You complement one another. You're in this relationship to encourage and to build up one another, not to tear each other apart. And only God can do something like that. We got to get that kind of mentality, a breakthrough mentality, rather than a bail mentality, because it's true. Opposites attract. And at the same time, opposites attack, because we know each other's faults. We know where we're weak at. The Bible tells us in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. There's healing when we confess our sins to one another. There's a breakthrough. That's why small groups are so important. And as we continue to build these small groups, and you're going to hear more about them. We're doing a lot of training right now. But when we launch our small groups... It's in that setting where you have that kind of breakthrough, where you can talk things over, where you can ask questions, where you can pray for one another. It's a small group of people, 10 people, that you can talk things through with. And you confess sins to one another. And then you keep it there, but you take it to God. And there's going to be miracle after miracle in relationships because we're praying for one another. But here's the thing that I think we tend to either overuse or never use or never use and it's this we have to number three unveil the true enemy that's what we have to do we got to unveil the true enemy you and i will have people come into our lives and we say oh no that's just just one of my enemies i'm not going to even be around that person they're just one of the enemies but here's why we have a hard time breaking through most of the times when our relationships are under attack. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. we got to remember that there is an enemy and his name is Satan. That's the true enemy. We war not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against the person. It's not against those people. And the reason why we have a hard time when our relationships are under attack is because we try to solve the situation rather than finding the root. And not analyzing everything to the core, but really finding the root. Because at the root of many of our problems is a thing called sin. We're just sinful people. It's at the root of the core of why relationships go bad. The only way to break through sin is through the cross of Christ. And God helps us to accept that decision. God gave us his son to build a bridge to us. God helps us accept that person, understanding where the true enemy is, And you know when you've been accepted 
by this person is because they're not trying to change you. And you know when you've accepted someone that you're not trying to change them. That we understand the root of it all. We're sinful people. See, everyone has hidden sins. Everyone has hidden anger. Everyone has hidden mistakes and a past or faults. We all have that. But it'll take Christ to break that. We've got to understand where the true enemy is. And not the kind of enemy, we know it's the devil, but not when you say, oh, speaking of the devil, here he comes. Not that kind of enemy. We, we war not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual principality. There's, a, there's an enemy with, with, the, with a plan to do whatever it takes to destroy your life. It's just that simple. The Bible tells us in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only, only. Here's a purpose. And this is his strategy. This is the only thing he does. Only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, but I, I came that, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is crystal clear about the strategy of the devil that he came to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your life, your marriage, your, your relationships, your destiny, your, your dreams. He wants to steal those things from you. He wants to rob that from you. But Jesus says, don't pay attention to that right now. Here's what I want you to understand. I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Yes, recognize that there is an enemy and there are times where you're going to have to pray against the enemy. But understand that I have come to give you life. And it's life more abundant. Talk things out. Deal with the issues that are at the root. Pray to God. Ask him to cleanse out those old things, those old habits. In other words, attack the problem, not the person. Yeah, but what if the person is the problem? There's still a problem beneath that because there's a root to that. Attack the problem, not the person. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Jesus was bruised. He was broken. He was beaten. He was attacked so that we wouldn't do that to one another. He has a way. And it's through his power. In 1907, excuse me, 1870, when the French started building the Panama Canal, the thought was to dig a gorge deep enough so that ships could go right through between North America and South America at sea level. They would just dig that deep. But then as they tried, they, they ran out of money, and even though they had outstanding engineering skills, they ran out of time, and they weren't able to complete the task. So... What America did is they came in, and by 1907, times had changed. Technology had changed. And engineering technology had made huge strides. So now there was something else that they could do, something different. A new concept had emerged. And instead of cutting through at sea level, they thought, why not build over the land a series of locks which would use the power of water to lift the ships on the Pacific side 85 feet over land. And then another series of locks that would lower them back 
to the level of the Caribbean. So they, instead of going through it, they just built a bridge over it. And it's interesting that where someone else had failed, someone else came in and found a way. Man has tried over and over to connect with God through human knowledge and power, but has failed. Then God came in and he said, I'm going to build a bridge to you. And he did that through Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sin. And because of that, we now have a bridge to God. But more importantly, we have a bridge from God and God has a bridge to come to us so that when our relationships go bad, God can be with us. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jesus right over. Amen. Would you bow our heads with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you're the one that made this bridge back to God, but at the same time, God back to man, that we were able, we are able now to have this connection, this relationship with God the Father. And you paid the price for our sin. You broke through. You didn't bail out on us. You showed us the way. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that maybe as a Christian we're saying, and, and for anyone, we're saying, I, I, I need this power. I, I want to be a person who breaks through. I want to live this new life by design. I want to do things better when my relationships are attacked. And I, and I want to be a bridge builder. Help me to recognize the enemy and unveil the true source. And help me to move forward that I can be a person who you made me to be so that I can break through. And it might be just asking God this morning, I ask for that kind of power so that when my relationships are under attack, you give me the wisdom required to break through. If that's you, could you just lift a hand? And we're just saying, God, I, I want that power. I want, to, I want to break through in my relationships. I, want to, I need help and sometimes I need wisdom. Good, many of us. Put your hands down. How many of you would say, I don't even have the bridge between God and I. I've never given my heart to Jesus Christ. I've never said yes to him and, and him building that bridge to me. I've never crossed that bridge. I've always been skeptical or, or afraid. I just never knew that it was that simple, that God built this bridge all the way to me and all I need to do is step foot on it by making this decision. And if that's you and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ and cross that bridge, would you just lift the hand this morning? And you're saying, yep, that's me. Good. Anybody else? Good. Good. God sees your hands. Good. Good. Yeah, God bless you. God knows. He knows your heart. You put your hands down. We're going to pray this prayer, but especially for those who are, who are saying yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time, that you would pray this prayer in your heart and even out loud if you need to. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I give you my heart. I trust in you. And I thank you for this new life that you have designed. Empower me 
So when my relationships are under attack, I'll be on your side. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, Amen.